Good morning, everyone. It is Monday, July 26, 2021. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors, joined by my colleague, Glenn Ambach, CFA, Managing Director and Co-Chief Investment Officer here at uh, Efficient Market Advisors. This presentation, which is a a, uh, a Zoom recording coming to you full with graphs and charts and slides is also a podcast available on Apple, Spotify, Deezer, Player FM, you name it. The name of the podcast is Slaying Bulls and Bears. And let's get into, oh, the lawyer stuff. Uh, everything you're about to see and or hear um, is derived for use, is produced for use with both financial advisors and investors. Of course, you're each expected to make your own investment decisions. Nothing that Glenn or I say or show you in this should be treated as investment advice. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. So last week, equity markets rolled on. U.S. continues to outperform international markets. You can see I'll bring my little highlighter up here. S&P 500 up almost 2% on the week. Mid and small cap stocks participated very well. International was up but lagged in emerging market international down about 2% on the week. Bonds positive, mildly positive across the board. Yeah, Herb, uh, action last week was very interesting in markets. Uh, you saw Monday we had a big sell-off mainly attributed to COVID concerns, at least that's what everybody was saying or blaming it on. Uh, could be just a little bit of a give back after hitting all-time highs the previous week. Uh, and then we really saw a big rebound the rest of the week. So we're finishing at all-time highs on the S&P, Dow, and NASDAQ. Uh, we've also seen a big rotation over the last month back into that large cap growth. Uh, you saw a little bit of uh, performance uh, last week from mid and small cap again, uh, which was nice to see. Yeah, in, indeed, we did. Um, a lot of data last week on residential real estate, on housing, uh, National Association of Home Builder Index, uh, still at a very high 80, down from 81 and just below the consensus estimate. You know, in this, anything over 50 is expansion. We had obviously that dip during the beginning of the COVID-related shutdown. And since then, because of obviously Fed stimulus, uh, um, you know, very, very low interest rates, housing demand has been through the roof. Uh, current sales uh, and traffic components fell just a tad, but expectations for sales rose. The one thing I thought was just super interesting last week, Glenn, was D.R. Horton, one of the nation's largest publicly traded home builders, said they're going to restrict sales of new homes because they're having trouble with their supply chain. They need to get windows and doors and hardware and appliances and sinks and countertops. So I thought that was really interesting that, that I think that lends support to prices, uh, at least for the foreseeable near term. Yeah, it's certainly prices are rising pretty, uh, pretty dra dramatically, but we'll see if that ever dents demand. Yep. Uh, housing starts, meanwhile, we're up another 6% uh, in the month of June after rising about 2% in May. Building permits were down just a tad, uh, but still all of these are at very, very high levels. You know, the, the housing industry, not only is it benefiting from the ultra low interest rates, the high demand, the extra the massive increase in, in household wealth and consumer balance sheet, but obviously Fed, Fed stimulus. And it's still sort of 
recouping some from the housing crisis, which now is more than a decade uh, in the rearview mirror. Um, existing home sales in June uh, came in at about a 5.9 million annualized rate. Uh, it was the first gain in the last five months, uh, which was nice. Rising prices and low inventory though continue to remain challenges. And I mentioned the DR Horton on the new side. This is, you know, we're getting up to the 6 million range. This is a pretty, pretty decent uh, volume considering, you know, a decade ago, we were down in the low, in the low fours and coming off of the, um, of the housing crisis. Uh, these are not the full month end PMIs in both manufacturing and services, but Marquette puts out a flash reading near the end of the month, which is obviously where we are. And in July, Marquette said that the manufacturing index, manufacturing remembers about 15% of the US economy, uh, rose to 63.1, that beat the expectation of 62. Uh, that's the highest reading you can see going back for a very significant period of time. We really only had the four months below 50 during the initial phases of the COVID shutdown. And it's been a slow, steady rise. This is the highest uh, number of the, um, of the recovery. And what you're seeing here, Herb, I think is what, uh, during COVID, you see a strong demand for goods uh, from in the US economy, as opposed to services, which we normally spend on. But we were locked up at home and we uh, spent that money that we normally spend on services on goods, and that led to a big rebound in manufacturing. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then, of course, now we're starting to see services open up, uh, but some slowing back down with the increase in COVID cases on the new variant uh, of the disease, the Delta variant. Uh, we saw the services number, the flash number from Marquette, fall to a still pretty high, 59.8, but it was a pretty big miss last week. The market was looking for about 64.5. It's the 12th consecutive month of expansion, just expansion at a little bit lower pace. In fact, the lowest pace since February. Uh, also, respondents in this survey uh, are, are starting to feel the effects and the impacts of some of the price increases. We talked about that inflation impacting them, some on the wage side, uh, as well as on the supply yeah. And here, Herb, uh, in the report, uh, firms responding to the survey uh, really cited the slowing growth due to labor and supply shortages. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see as those uh, shortages start to abate here as we open up even more, uh, it, how we get a rebound here. Yep. And speaking of uh, labor and, and the one piece of data we got last week, of course, was the regular Thursday initial claims for unemployment. I always say that we're looking for a three handle. That means it's a pretty good market. The low threes is a great jobs market. Uh, and unfortunately, we got a big jump back over 400 last week, well above the estimate of 350,000. And continuing claims, of course, uh, they did fall, but there's a one week lag there on that metric. So hopefully that's just statistical week to week noise on that one. Hopefully, Herb, but this uh, is an important week as this is the survey week for the July non-farm payrolls report. So uh, the market's got a little spooked on this report, but we'll see how it comes out uh, in, uh, in another week or so uh, on that non-farm payrolls report. Yeah. Speaking of this week, I think uh, obviously earnings, very, very important this week. This is the biggest week for earnings, but it's also a Fed meeting. And it's the meeting right after the Humphrey Hawkins uh, testimony, which we got. 
And then there's that gap. You know, they don't have that August meeting because of uh, Jackson Hole. Uh, so last month's Fed meeting, I think the reporting and the discussion in the financial media was all about the change in the dot plot. People got a little excited about that. The Hawks were sort of front and center. Uh, but I think what was missed is that the chairman, who's the primary spokesman for the Fed, uh, remains incredibly dovish. Uh, in fact, his quote at the end was, we did not even discuss liftoff at this meeting. Uh, substantial further progress, which is his litmus test for beginning to taper or raise rates, he said, is still a ways off. Uh, and we will continue the discussion in coming meetings. He didn't say at the next meeting. He said meetings, meaning at least two, which would be late September and then early November. Of course, the Fed, the Fed is not meeting at Jackson Hole, but Jackson Hole is where multiple central bank heads get together in the U.S. Uh, for economic discussions, outlooks, possibly coordinating and telegraphing some coordination of policy. Um, I, I, so I think he remains very dovish. I think the balance of power on our central bank's uh, open market committee is still dovish. But I also think it is time to start to raise an eye and look out to, uh, obviously, this inflationary pressure that we have that GDP output is back to pre-pandemic levels. That's well-received by everybody. Uh, we do see more stimulus coming. Congress and the president are likely to try to get something done on the two measures they're talking about before they go on their August uh, recess. And then in the earnings reports, which don't get me wrong, Glenn, I mean, they were fantastic last week. We were starting to see some slightly slight moderation to the messaging coming out a lot of the, uh, the CEOs, and that was primarily centered around their concerns about uh, input prices, labor prices, and the ability to continue to pass on uh, those price increases to to the consumer. Um, so uh, last week we had uh, continued progress in earnings reporting season. 103 companies have beat out of 118 that have reported, which is a very high percentage. What's even more exciting is that the, the increase in the earnings over the expectations is almost 20%. Uh, that's, that's a real, real high number. And when you look at the companies that aren't having the big increases and you back those out, which is utilities and real estate, because they're a little bit more conservative and it comes to earnings growth, it's a little more predictable. Uh, you can see big gains in things like industrials and energy. Look at consumer discretionary, healthcare, financials. And then we haven't even got into the big tech names, which are a lot of those uh, are starting to come this week. And Herb, those are gains on already uh, revised up estimates. Uh, yes. Though those estimates have been going up over the last few quarters and companies are still beating those estimates by almost 20%. Uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty remarkable season. In fact, uh, we had about 25% of the S&P 500 come in last week. This is the big dog week. More than 50% of the market capitalization will be reported. The three biggest names are Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon. They will likely move the market. Now, many things could happen. They could, Who knows all the different things that are happening. This morning, as I was coming in, they were talking about Amazon may announce soon that they'll take cryptocurrency for payment. Uh, the following week is 150 companies. So these two weeks, this is the heart of that earnings um, season. And, and it started last week and the market turned higher. And 
obviously you can't say it wasn't because of these earnings beats. Maybe it was entirely because of these earnings beats, but maybe not. There were, there was some softness out there, and I think it should be be acknowledged. Uh, the strengths, of course, 70, 78% year, year earnings per share growth, which is virtually unheard of. 80% of companies beating on the top line, which is outstanding, normally half or above the revenue line or half or below. What caught my eye on the negative side of things, Glenn, was that normally when companies beat and surprise the market, the market rewards them. The price, their shares go up a little bit. They did go up this time, but on a percentage basis, it was only about half of what we normally see. And then when we when a company misses, the stock usually goes down a little bit, but it seems that it did not, not seems it were going down more than normal, suggesting there is a little softness maybe in the buying powder this, this time around. Um, staples, technology, although we're just getting started, real estate and utilities, real estate and utilities are very small. Let's take it all with a grain of salt. They were actually all lower, even though their earnings beat estimates um, so far this reporting season. And there are even a couple of important tech companies, such as Intel, which started is starting to guide the street a little bit lower on revenue in the out quarters. Um, and a full 25% of all companies that have reported have guided lower on margins. They're, now, that could just be an abundance of caution because this inflationary pressure, we don't know, is it transitory, not transitory? How much does it stick? Clearly, uh, if you're having trouble hiring people, you have to raise wages. That's stickier than the price of, uh, of uh, copper, for example, which trades in the free market and can go down um, very, very easily. But Herb, just to put some numbers to that, uh, those companies that beat underperform the market by 0.2% uh, versus uh, outperforming the market a half a percent historically. But this is uh, what we have seen, this underperformance by companies that have beat expectations. We have seen that the last three quarters now. So going back to your point that maybe uh, these um, earnings are already priced into uh, stock prices a little bit. And it's just, that's just reflected uh, in market prices after they announce. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an important distinction. Thank you for making that. The other thing we see going on is that uh, we do seem to get a little short-term weakness on, in the markets when COVID cases start to pick up. And we have to acknowledge that they are picking up uh, around the world again. Uh, we don't know ultimately where they will peak. We don't know whether or not this ultimately results in further economic shutdowns. Obviously, we have far more people vaccinated than ever before, but uh, in many parts of our country and in every part of our country and in every part of the world, there are still many people who are not vaccinated uh, or choosing not to get vaccinated. And when those cases rise, concerns happen and you see the markets kind of come off a little bit. Um, so moving on, Glenn, you and I and Spencer uh, made some small changes to the portfolio last week, first ones in, uh, in quite a few months. So we'll talk about that and tell everybody what we did. Uh, as everybody knows, we've been very constructive on the equity markets, and that's worked to our advantage, our investors' advantage. We're happy about that. And we remain uh, biased towards equity versus fixed income. Uh, we remain overweight equity 
but we did reduce the amount above our index of our benchmark component that we are. So we reduced the overweight, maintained it uh, at a lower rate, and we maintained our bias to US and growth companies. We also, within fixed income, reduced our high yield bond allocation, that's non-rated bonds, from a full 20% of fixed income, which has worked really well for us as uh, spreads have compressed, as the economy has been very strong, but we decided to take some profits there, reduce that from 20% of our fixed income allocation down to about 10%. Also within fixed income, it's a total US portfolio, so that's a big US bias, and we still maintain a bias of corporate over US Treasury. Uh, a modest increase in cash, depending on the model you're in, you could still be as low as 1% in our taking income conservative model, but it goes all the way up to 5% in our 20 year plus aggressive model now. So don't confuse that folks with us getting uh, bearish on the equity markets just yet, uh, but it was a recognition of uh, some of the great gains, uh, some of the valuation differences that are out there too. One of the things that we're, we haven't moved on, but we're noticing is that the premiums of US equities, it goes back to my previous slide, the US, well, cases are surging, they're surging less in the US because we have a higher vaccination rate than most of the developed world, but our equity premium to our growth rate here in the US is quite a bit higher than that in the rest of the world. When the growth rates going forward, the estimates are actually starting to converge a little bit. So it uh, hasn't changed our positioning, but we certainly recognize uh, some of these things. Um, finally, this week, there's plenty of economic data to go along with over 50% of the S&P 500 market cap earnings, uh, some home sales, durable goods, home prices, both Case-Shiller and FHA, consumer confidence, all important, but really the big dogs of the week are the, uh, the FOMC rate decision. There won't be any decision on interest rates, in our opinion. Um, we don't think there will be any decision on uh, asset purchases either. Uh, I think it's Chairman Powell's chance to reiterate and double down on his more uh, dovish tone compared to maybe all of his colleagues. Some of his colleagues are equally dovish, some are not. Uh, the other big one I think is GDP on Thursday. Consensus is eight and a half. I think this could be a wide dispersion. <laughs> I think we could end up north of 10 on this. I think the, the reopening data has just been very, very strong. Um, but we'll see. Atlanta Fed GDP now is actually below 8%. So uh, this could be anywhere between, say, 7 and 10 is my guess. Uh, and then lots of data, personal income spending, employment cost, uh, PMI, consumer sentiment. But it's really about GDP and, uh, and the Fed uh, statement, I think, at the end of that meeting. And don't forget uh, inflation data on Friday as well will be very closely watched given uh, previous, re previous few months readings here. Yeah, correct. There it is. June PCE price price index. Uh, so everybody, thank you as always for, for tuning in. We appreciate you uh, listening to us and we'll talk to you again next week.